You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. And then we'll pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Thank you so much, praise team and Jana. Paul writes, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, in Him. According unto the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who still are alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with those words. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. We thank you, dear Lord, that you care about us and you know our needs, you know our hearts. We praise you, dear Lord. We give you all honor and glory. You alone are worthy. The name Jesus is such a beautiful word. Thank you, God, for giving it to us. But thank you most of all for giving our loving, precious Savior. We ask you, dear Lord, to right now cleanse us. Lord, we pray for every person who calls themselves a Christian to cleanse each one of us and make us fit and worthy not only for worship, but to receive your word. I ask you, dear Lord, to cleanse me and to forgive me of any thought, any deed, any idle word, anything that has come before me, dear Lord, just cleanse me. I want to be a vessel that you can use today, Lord. Pray, dear Lord, you'd bind the enemy. I've never seen more attacking going on than, dear Lord, I think even more so as we approach this subject of your coming. So, Lord, would you bind our enemy, the one who comes to kill, to steal, and destroy? Would you, dear Lord, bind him in such a way, put a wall as you did around Job to protect us? And we pray, dear Lord, that whatever happens, that we give you all the honor and glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I, I, wanna, I want to say a word about why, why, I, why I'm preaching this series called Raptured. And, and I want you to understand this, that, that this whole idea of being raptured or, the, or Christ coming and 
taking his church, the bride, you and I, out of this world, as we've said over the last couple of weeks, was a catalyst to the New Testament church. Okay? In other words, this, this is what, this, this hope is what drove the apostolic fathers in the New Testament church. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. John talks about it. Jesus, in his longest discourse, the longest amount of teaching, dealt with his coming. So it is a critical issue. It was a catalyst, and it drove the New Testament church to do great things in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe this. I believe that if, if, if there's somehow, some way that you and I can be convinced of the critical importance of this in our life, it's going to do two things. First of all, it's going to cause us to live a more holy life, right? If you and I begin to believe that Jesus might come at any moment, then we're going to begin to really think a lot more about how we live, what we're doing in our life. But we're also going to also be busy about what God is busy about and that is ministering to people, drawing people into the kingdom, ministering to people's needs, and discipling them and and seeing them come not only to Christ, but become more like Christ. And all God's people said what? Said amen. Now, Grant Jeffrey wrote this. He's a writer, and I thought this was good. He said, the second coming of Jesus Christ is the greatest theme in all the Bible. While there are approximately 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold the first coming of Christ, there are more than eight times as many verses throughout the Old and New Testaments revealing God's promises about the return of Christ. The enormous number of prophetic verses about the second coming underlines the vital importance of this event in God's plan of redemption for mankind. Consequently, he goes on to say, we dare not ignore the prophetic signs that are pointing to the nearness of his coming. So again, the second coming and the belief in the second coming and even the rapture of the church is what drove the New Testament church. It drove the apostolic fathers. Number one, to live right. We said last week that the Bible, listen to this, the Bible commands us to purify ourselves. James, James mentions this, I think in James 4, 6. James says, purify yourselves. In other words, sometimes we think, well, you know, God, this is your responsibility. I'm your property. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's up to the Holy Spirit to purify me. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will purify you and will purify me, but we have a responsibility to purify ourselves. Now, if you don't hear anything else in the, in the message today, I need everyone to listen to me now. Word from God. We are living in a day in an atmosphere of sin. I, I, I honestly believe what Billy Graham said is true. I'll be 58 in a couple of weeks, and I want you to know something. I have never known a time in the history of my life that I've seen the enemy having more victories, and I've seen sin more accessible and available to people. We are living in a fallen, depraved world, but our nation is so far removed from the things of God that when I was a boy, that we are in an atmosphere of sin. 
And there is an availability of sin that has never been before. Are you listening? Say amen. amen. In other words, alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, everything, so much that once in my childhood was taboo is now readily available. Let me, let me speak honest. Men, let me, let's talk about sex and sexual temptation. When I was a boy, I remember getting in trouble one time because my neighbor, he had a, his dad had a Playboy magazine. And we were caught looking at that Playboy magazine. I want you to know something. What was in that Playboy magazine when I was a boy would not even equal what Victoria's Secret advertises at primetime and in the mall. So that's where we've come. That's where we've come. Now we're in an atmosphere of sin. Uh, the dress of women today, men, I'm talking to men for a moment, the dress of women, and women, if you dress in such a way to cause a man to lose the joy of his salvation, shame on you, and I hope you're convicted and will go through your wardrobe and change it. But there is an atmosphere of sin, men, in the area of sexual temptation. And if you are not careful, you're going to fall repeatedly over and over and over and over again. Because you're living in a world today that almost is to the point of anything goes. So men, because of that, you're in an atmosphere of sin and because of the availability of sin. Let me, let me say this. Nowadays, I can take this right here, this iPhone, and I can pull up hardcore pornography. I don't, I don't, listen, I can, I can do it very easily. I can, I can get it at any point and do that. I can look at it here. I can look at it on my computer. I can, I can, you know, I can do it. What I'm saying, men, is that it's going to have to... If you take that, those two words, purify yourself, then men, if we're living in the days that we need to start getting our lives ready and purify ourselves, then we're going to have to make some tough decisions. It may be, men, that you have to go back to an old flip phone with no ability to, to look at stuff like that. You may have to do. And save $100, send it to Lottie Moon. Okay? It may be that you're going to have to cut off the internet in your home or go to AFR, American Family Radio, or go to someone and find a filter to put on your laptop, on your computer, at work, in your home to protect you and raise the level of accountability. Are you listening, men? Say amen. You and I, listen, all of us men, I'm, I'm one of you. We're going to have to make some tough decisions, and we're going to have to bring ourselves to a level of holiness, which is going to require us to discipline ourselves in a way we never have before. So men, you're going to have to do whatever you have to do to purify yourself in the area of sexual sin. You are in an atmosphere of sin. Today we're in a world where anything goes. It's available, it's accessible, and it's very easy. You're going to have to develop a high level of discipline and a high level of accountability. That's what's going to have to happen. Your accountability partner, men, if you're married, is going to have to be your wife. And that, my friend, will bring you to brokenness and repentance. And ladies, listen to me. If you're married to a man, if you're not get married, if you're married to a man, that means if you're living together, quit doing it. But if you're married to a man, ladies, you're going to have to bring him to the highest level of accountability. And you're going to have to ask him the hard questions. You're going to have to ask him constantly because men are falling today in record numbers.
So you're going to have to be tough when it comes to discipline and accountability. Well, I just can't do without my internet, do without it. Well, I just love Netflix, do without it. Well, I just love HBO. HBO has some good, some good shows. Yeah, do without it. You do, ladies, whatever you have to do to bring that man under the discipline of the Holy Spirit so that he can purify himself. Ladies, and all the ladies said, Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, so what I'm saying is, is that if we are living in the last days, if we are going to be ready, if he invades and snatches us up and takes us home, men and women, I want you to know something. I want to be living a lot better than even I am now. I want to be ready. And I want to do everything I can to maintain that readiness. Now, let me tell you what, just here lately, what God has told me. God has simply told me there's some things that I need to do. I believe what Billy Graham said. Let me just talk very candidly with you. Billy Graham said that he believed we're living in the last days, and he made the statement that he believed that the demons, that in hell there has been new a demonic activity that he believes is unforeseen in the past, that's not been seen in the past. And he says that he believes that there's a new host of demons that have actually been unleashed. So I think, men and women, we are in a demonic battle today. Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul said the spirit and the flesh are warring and the flesh today is warring like it's never been before. Now listen, before you become depressed and say, boy, that's really bad, demonic activity like that, who knows the Bible really well? Satan. Hey, Satan and the temptation of Christ. If you remember when Jesus was being tempted in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, do you remember Jesus keeps quoting Scripture? You know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Man shall not put God to a foolish test. And then finally the devil says, okay, I'll play your game. It is all, why don't you cast yourself down from the temple, for it is written that legions of angels will guard over you lest you dash your foot against the stone. The devil is quoting Scripture to Jesus. Could it be that our enemy is also reading the signs and he's getting nervous and he's being very, very busy. So you see, to the early New Testament church, it not only drove the church, it caused the church to want to live right. And that's what you and I need to do. And we need to take whatever steps we need to take. Listen, um, I, last night I, I watched... Um, um, uh, the historic, the History Channel. You know they did the uh, the mini series called the Bible. Have any of you seen that? What a power! That's worth buying. That's worth, if you don't own that, buy that and start playing that around the house, buddy. That is that is tremendous. Play, listen, please listen to me. Play Christian music in your home. Cut the TV off. And if you're gonna, hey, I walked into the bedroom the other day and Sheila had a big cross by our TV. She had put up by the, by the TV. I, I walked it to the back door. There's scripture on the door, outside, I meant on the inside of the door through the glass. So I have scripture when I walk into the house. I walk into shade. There's scripture on the mirror that she's written up there. I, I mean, I walk by, uh, there, there is footprints in the sand. There's a cross. I walk into the bedroom. There's another cross hanging there. There's a picture here. Yeah, do whatever. Listen, 
saturate yourself with the things of God. If you want the Holy Spirit to begin to have victory in your life and purify yourselves, listen, one of the best counsels an old preacher gave to Sheila and I a long time ago was that's what he said. Saturate your life and your home with the things of God. Literally put it everywhere. Scripture everywhere. Crosses everywhere. Hang them from your rearview mirror. Cut the TV off. Play Christian music. Pull the Bibles out. Begin to read them again. And you and I make some investments. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I think the richness of our worship is a direct result of the, of the honesty and the transparency and the goodness of the people in this sanctuary. Not meaning goodness in anything that we do. I think it's just simply the fact that we're honest, we're transparent. We're quick to tell somebody, look, I'm a sinner. I've got this going on in my life. I need you to pray with me about that. Don't lose that. So the early New Testament church lived right. They, pure, they were purifying themselves because they were concerned about the second coming and they were also keeping busy. They were about evangelism and about discipleship. And, and you see, that, that's critical for you and I because once we begin to be convinced of the rapture, once we begin to believe that any moment Jesus might come and the law of gravity will all of a sudden no longer have effect on me and I'm going to find myself rising and lifting up toward the heavens and I'm going to see my Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And because of that, I don't want to be caught doing something that I'm going to be ashamed of. So I'm going to be purifying myself because I need to get ready because I don't know when He's coming. So I've got to be ready at all times. And not only that, I want to be busy about the kingdom. I want other people to come to Christ. I want to be discipling other people because, you know, I would love for Him to come and me be doing what He told me to do. Well, wouldn't that be proud? Wouldn't that be a great moment? So, you, you see, it's living right and it's being busy. Now, let me say something personally here. As I've begun this series, I will say this, the enemy has attacked me like I haven't been attacked in a long time. Outside of publishing the book, Killing the Church, and preaching this series, I've never been attacked more by the enemy than I have been here lately. But I want you to look this way. Everybody look this way. There are times that I get to this office early, early, early in the morning. And I go in there and I sit down at my desk and I begin to say, God, what do you want me to preach to these people? Now, right now, I'm preaching to you about the rapture of the church. Now, I want you to know this. When I cut on a Christian station, when I cut on something or I listen to this preacher, I hear all these other preachers also preaching about it. But I want you to know this. Sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'll think, there's a passage in Zechariah, and all of a sudden I flip my Bible. Get, you want to guess where it lands? It's as if God is flipping the pages sometimes of my Bible and showing me things that He wants me to share with you. I thank God. I thank God wants all of us to be ready just in case He's getting ready to come. He wants us to be busy. I was listening to something the other day on the internet. I was listening to the, I was, I was researching a little bit signs in the heavens. And I was listening to a very, very sharp man who was speaking. And, and he was talking about signs in the heaven. This man was extremely educated. And he made this statement. He said that we're getting ready to have the brightest comet that we've ever known to pass by the earth and it is passing by on the first day of Hanukkah. 
And then he began to talk about all of the signs in the heavens. And he made this statement. I, I, I Really, to be honest with you, it kind of caught me off guard. He said, everything that, God does in, everything that God does, God does according to the Hebrew calendar. And he began to talk about all the signs in the heavens that correlate with the Hebrew calendar. And I just sat there listening in amazement. I don't know if we're living in the last days, but I can tell you this much. The more I study the Word of God and the more I listen, listen to men that I respect, the more I would venture to say we could very much be. So you and I need to purify ourselves and we need to be busy. Now last week we saw this. We, we said that the end time, if you look at the Scripture and the Bible talks about, Paul talks about it in Romans 8, beginning, in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. We said Paul talks about three groans. You remember that? Paul said, listen, creation groans. And what Paul said is simply this. He said, as we approach the end of time, it's as if the earth is travailing like a woman in labor. And Paul said creation is groaning or travailing like a woman in labor because it's waiting for the deliverance or the, or the, or, or the, the deliverance of the children of God. And Paul said, so the creation groans. Paul said, we groan. And he said, the Holy Spirit groans. The Bible repeatedly talks about the end time using this idea of a woman in labor, the earth travailing. This is part of this idea of earthquakes. We talked last week about earthquakes, the intensity, the frequency of earthquakes. I was looking at a graph. Now, folks, I'm not reading some book written by a preacher I'm going to the official website where they chart, where they chart earthquakes. I was looking at a graph. Here's the graph. Here's 1990. I don't know if we're living in the last days, but I would say this, that it could be that the earth is travailing like a woman in labor. In Mark 13, 8, it says, these are the beginning of birth pains. And so last week, and remember last week I stood on a chair. How many preachers are standing on chairs preaching? You may think I'm crazy, but I was standing on a chair. Now the reason that I was standing on a chair, and I was, and I was basically doing this, I was showing you, you remember we use these hymnals, I just put a hymnal up here, and I said that hymnal represents when God created and brought into existence creation. Now God's, uh, listen, listen, you serve a God that's sovereign. You know what he said to Moses? He said, you tell him I am Yahweh, Jehovah God. I am. That means I'm always the present tense. No past tense with God, no future. He's always the I am, the ever present. Hey, before this, before the universe, before you and I were called into creation, guess who was here? God. Hey, consummation of the age. Guess who's here? God. Hey, got news for you. Guess who else is here? Guess who else is here? Guess who else is here? Us in Christ. Isn't that great? And we said this, we said this Bible here between these two points represents the church. And at some point in, in this realm, in this realm of time and space, God is going to reach in. Paul said it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, he said, we're going to be called up, which means it means to be snatched very quickly, like a thief stealing something. It'll be this that quick. It'll be snatched. And when that happens, it begins to initiate events on the earth 
that you and I can't even begin to imagine. And so here, Paul says that the earth is travailing. Now, now let me say this. In the book of Revelation, for you and I to understand, in fact, let's, let me just take a moment and do this. Take a right from 1 Thessalonians and go over to Revelation chapter 1. Because I want you to see this. In Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, watch this. The word revelation means, uh, it means to unveil, to pull back the curtains. Apocalyptus, is that right, Apocalypse? Yeah. It's the idea of unveiling or to reveal. The revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 1, chapter 1, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now John is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He's a prisoner of, Roman, of the Roman Empire. To his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now look over, look over at verse 7. Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. Now look at verse 19. In verse 19, God tells John, He says, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, what will take place later. And Did you see that? God tells John, he says, John, write therefore what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place. Now, flip over to chapter 4, verse 1. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John said, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet. Imagine that, the voice of God, the sound of a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Now everyone look this way. Basically, when I was standing on a chair looking down at this illustration, as simple as it is, here's one hymnal that represents creation when God set time and space and you and I and this universe into existence. Here's when the consummation of the age. You remember the disciples in Matthew 24? Tell us, when will these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming? And listen, everyone listen closely. The consummation or the end of the age. In other words, at what point does it cease to exist in its present form? And here's the church. Rapture, called up, taken out of time and space. When you look at Revelation, and you look at Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, and the reason that your pastor was standing on a chair was I was trying to somehow illustrate to you that John, as he writes Revelation, is writing from the vantage point of God. He's in the throne room of God. He's looking back down at this earth, and what he's doing is, but God is saying, John, I want you to record what you're seeing here, and I want you to record what you're seeing down there. Now, now stay with me. I wrote these down. John is outside time and space, number one. Number two, he's from the vantage point of the Creator. God has him in the throne room of God because at some points he'll even describe. He said, I saw a lamb rising up in the throne of God taking the, taking the seal or the title deed or the 
the title deed to the world. Number three, he was given an angle. That was the whole point of me standing on a chair, is that John is given an angle or an observation point unlike any human being on the earth where he has been number four, he is told to write what he observes both on heaven and in earth. What John describes in Revelation is three series of judgments. He'll describe the breaking of the seals. He'll describe the sounding of the seven trumpets. He'll describe the spilling of the seven bowls or the seven vials. Every time, each time, in fact, I wrote this down, each time that something is initiated in heaven, it affects the earth. Now look this way. Once God removes His church... Once we're out of the picture, then God begins to unleash judgment on the earth. John said there was a, there was, there was a, there was a document, seven seals, and I watched as the Lamb of God took that document, broke each one of those seals. Every time he breaks a seal, it initiates a judgment on the earth. Every time a trumpet is blown in heaven, the four approaching horsemen are the first seven, first four seals of the seven. Every time he sounds a trumpet, it initiates a judgment or a catastrophic event on earth. Every time a bull or a vowel is spilled, it's a picture of God's judgment falling on the earth. Are you with me? I hope. So John in Revelation is seeing the cause and the culmination of the signs and all of this works together with Matthew chapter 24. Now back to Matthew 24. Take a, take a left and go back over to Matthew 24. Because in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples are asking about, a pop, they're, they're asking about the end time. Eschatos, last things. And in Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 1, Jesus left the temple. He was walking away when his disciples came up to him, called his attention to the buildings. And Jesus said, do you see all these things? He said, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left upon another. Everyone will be thrown down. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. They said, it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew, I think according to, to Mark or Luke, who even say which of the disciples went to Jesus. They said, tell us, number one, question Answer number one. Question number one, when will these things happen? In other words, the destruction of the temple. What will be the sign of your coming? The rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And number three, the end of the age. This hymnal right here represents that. In verse four, Jesus answered, he begins to simply address every single sign or shadow of his coming. He wants these disciples, he wants you and I to know. Why would he want us to know? He wants us to be busy about the kingdom's work. He wants us also to be purifying ourselves. Listen, He also wants us to be excited. We're reading the signs. The Bible says at one point we'll, look and we'll begin to look and say your redemption is drawing near. Maranoth, the Lord come quickly. Now, last week, we looked at one sign, which was deception. Look in verse 4 and 5. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Jesus talks about that one of the signs of the end time will be deception. You know, I got back and I began to read up on this this week. Listen to this. I did a little history lesson. Because Jesus was warning the nation of Israel... 
and He was warning, warning His disciples that it would be easy for them to be deceived. There was a man by the name of Simon Bar Kokba, I believe is his name. Bar means son of. Simon Kokba, a Jewish rebel commander, led the Jewish people in a revolt in 135 A.D. Many Jews believed him to be the Messiah. Historians say the great Jewish rabbinical scholar Akaba announced that Simon, Simon Kokba, was the Messiah. Now stay with me here because this is important. A, a revolt began in 135 A.D., a hundred years after the death of Christ, burial, resurrection, the ascension of Christ. A revolt began against Rome that resulted in half a million Jewish soldiers' death. In the end of the revolt, over three million Jews had been slaughtered. It was then that the Roman Senate passed a law prohibiting the Jews from approaching Jerusalem as their conquered capital. This led, 135 A.D., a hundred years after Jesus prophesied this, this led to their exile of the Jewish people, which lasted until May 15, 1948. May 15, 1948 was a fulfillment of a prophecy that had been made nearly 2,000 years ago by Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 8 says this, Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Now listen to this. 3,000 years before... Or shall a nation be born at once in a day? For as Zion travaileth, there's that labor pains again, she brought forth her children. May 15, 1948, Israel once again became a nation. Two things that you need to remember. Never in the history of civilization has any nation ceased to exist. 2,000 years come back and be restored not only as a nation but to the homeland. Only the people of Israel. A nation that had been scattered for 2,000 years was reborn in its homeland. Listen to what one writer wrote on that day. He said on May 15, 1948, an event transpired that shocked the foreign governments around the world. The Jews proclaimed the independence of the reborn state of Israel, even while six Arab armies simultaneously prepared to invade the tiny country, which is half the size of the state of New Jersey the next day to destroy it at its birth. An old Jewish rabbi blew on the traditional shofar. I thought about Betsy at that point. I've heard her blow the shofar. A ram's horn. The Jewish people celebrated the end of their tragic worldwide dispersion and captivity at the exact time that had been prophesied thousands of years earlier by the prophet Ezekiel. Biblical scholars said Ezekiel prophesied May 15, 1948 to the day. And I went back and researched it and I'm telling you what that statement says right there is the truth. He went on, he continued to say this, Ezekiel 37 Ezekiel, God said to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? 
this writer said, they not, only res- they not only lived, they resulted in the most powerful army in the world, the second most powerful army in the world, in a country smaller than the state of New Jersey. Now Israel makes ready for a return to, Levitical, to the Levitical sacrificial system of the Old Testament and to rebuilding the temple. And you and I have had an opportunity to see a nation of dead 2,000 years scattered to the ends of the earth. In 138, 135 A.D., the Roman Empire said no more. They leveled the the city of Jerusalem, the temple there in Jerusalem, and they scattered the Jewish people to the ends of the earth. And they made it a law they could not return. And for 2,000 years they were scattered. Ezekiel had prophesied six or 700 years before this event and nearly 3,000 years before the event, May 15, 1948, Israel will be born, Isaiah 66, in a day. Why? Because once this event occurs here, snatching of the church, the rapture of the church... Israel will once again be a pivotal player in the end time. I wrote this down. I thought this was interesting. The last statement says, Now Israel makes ready a return to the Levitical sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Number two, a rebuilt temple, a place to carry out those sacrifices. Are you listening? Listen closely. Take a look at your Bible, Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus goes on to say, you'll hear wars, rumors of wars, see that you're not alarmed, such things must happen, the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there'll be famine, earthquakes in various places, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted, and we're going to talk about that next week, and you'll be put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Are people turning away from the faith today? At that time, many will turn away from the faith. They'll betray, they'll hate each other. Many false prophets will appear, deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a tax. That's why you give to Lottie Moon. That's why you give this Christmas offering. My friend, nothing is more, not even the Christmas boxes are more important than that. That's how we fund missionaries and send them around the world. But look at that. Verse 13, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, in the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then will the end come. Now look at verse 15, because that's critical. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, what in the world is Jesus talking about there? Israel in May 15, 1948 became a nation. And guess what happened? They planted themselves 2,000 years later. They planted themselves firmly into the promised land in the land that God had promised to give them. They began to set up and they've been there ever since under the constant threat of Arab nations all around them. They're there today. And I can tell you this much. If America breaks their alliance, if they break their relationship with the nation of Israel, you can kiss us goodbye. But what does he mean by the abomination that causes desolation? What he means is this. Once the church has been raptured, once we're no longer here, it initiates the tribulation. 
One of the first things that will happen is the Antichrist, that political figure, along with a false prophet, the religious figure. The Bible talks about in Revelation. You can go back and read this on your own. They together will bring unity. They'll bring order back to a world that is, is just on the other side of the rapture of the church. The first thing the Antichrist will do is he will, you'll be seeing on TV, he'll be doing this with the nation of Israel. He'll be saying, listen, Israel, you don't have anything to worry about. We're bringing, hey, listen to this. Every political leader has tried to bring peace to the Middle East. That is the trump card. Now, listen, folks, you may not believe any of this. Does it make any sense that a nation half the size of the state of New Jersey has such influence and clout all over the world? If it were not something spiritual? But the Antichrist will do this. And he'll look at the Jew now that they have peace, and he'll say, build your temple. And man, they'll get that, that listen, that temple, that temple will be built. They'll begin to implement the Old Testament Levitical sacrificial system, and everything will be going fine. Until three and a half years, three and a half years into the tribulation, the Bible says Daniel prophesied it, Matthew talked about it, Mark talked about it, Luke talked about it, Paul talked about it. Listen, John talked about it. That moment when the abomination that causes desolation, what is it? There'll come a point, you remember this scene here? All of a sudden, that's broken. The Antichrist now turns against the nation of Israel. And guess what he does? He walks into the temple and he declares himself God. And when that happens, the Bible says the nations of the world will gather in a place called the Valley of Megiddo and there will initiate a war of such magnitude that we've never seen it before. And it's only when God steps into the scene will the nation of Israel be saved. You can't have the abomination of desolation if you don't have a temple. I wrote this down. Well, in fact, in Daniel 9, 20 through 27, Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, verse 14, Luke 21, verse 20. Luke 21, verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the desolation is near. Today, listen to this. Today in Israel, rabbinical school, there is a rabbinical school that is teaching the Jewish rites of the Old Testament sacrifices. In other words, they're getting ready for this event right now in the nation of Israel. And there is an all-out attack from the, from the pit of hell against everything the Jew and the Israelites stand for. Exactly the reason Herod tried to kill the children two years and under of age because he was trying to kill the Messiah is exactly the reason there's a war going on right now and why Israel's isolated and ostracized by the world. Today, a rabbinical school teaches the Jewish rites of sacrifice. And listen to this. Secondly, the secret of the location of the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? You remember in the Old Testament? You remember when those armies would set out? You remember what Moses did? There was a gold-plated box with the wings of a cherubim, the angel. And in that box was a jar of manna. In that box was the budding rod of Aaron. In that box was the Ten Commandments. And the Jew to the Jew, that was the presence of God. And you remember, they even went into battle with them carrying that ark. When you're walking around the walls of Jericho, those priests are carrying that ark. All that system has been laying dormant for 2,000 years. What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? 
Let me, let me give you some things. That are... Living in Africa, there are a lot of people who believe the Ark of the Covenant's in Africa, in Ethiopia. And you may say, well, how did it get there? You remember in the Old Testament, a king by the name of Solomon? How many of you remember Solomon? Say amen. You remember when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon? You know, Solomon had how many wives? A whole bunch of shopping going on there. He had 700 and 300 concubines. Well, one of those wives was a woman by the name of the queen of Sheba. The queen of Sheba entered into a political alliance with Solomon, but she also had a son by Solomon. His name was Menelik. Menelik the first. Menelik, when he got ready to return to Ethiopia, the place of his ancestors on his mother's side, when he got ready to return, Solomon made a replica of the Ark of the Covenant, an exact replica to give to Menelik. Menelik was a devout man. He loved the Lord. Solomon was ungodly. Apostasy had slipped into Israel. Israel was getting ready to be judged by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and by the Romans. It is said that Menelik switched and he actually took the Ethiopia of the Ark of the Covenant, the true Ark of the Covenant. There are people all over Africa that, are, that believe this. I want to tell you something I said yesterday to somebody. The moment you fly over Africa, it's a spiritual experience. But anyway, I got to reading up, just studying this. Menelik believed that in time he would return the Ark of the Covenant when Israel repented under the preaching of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. It didn't happen. So eventually the Ark of the Covenant was hidden. To this day, right now, it is being protected by what the Jews called the Falasha. The Falasha means exiled Jews. They say a child is chosen at the age of seven among these people. That child is trained and agrees to guard the Ark of the Covenant for the rest of his life. As guardian, he fasts 225 days out of a year. He never leaves the ark until his death. And then he's replaced. In 1989, Israel granted permission to the Falasha, to the Falasha Jews to return to Israel. And that's true because I remember when Ethiopian Jews began to be allowed to come back to, to Israel. Remember since May 15, 1948, Soviet Union collapsed, Berlin Wall went down. All of a sudden, political things were happening all over the world. Why? Because God was just simply doing this. He was saying to his covenant people of the Old Testament, the Abrahamic covenant, to his Jewish people, it's time to come home. And they've been coming ever since. And in 1989, the Jewish government said it's time the, for the Ethiopian Jew to come home. Are you listening, African-American? I wrote down, the African-American must come to understand in this country that they are a special people that, have, that are loved by God. When God sought to protect the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, he sent them to Africa. When God sought to protect his son from Herod, he sent him to Africa. Wouldn't it be like God to take the Ark of the Covenant and send it to Africa to protect it for 3,000 years so far? And I believe that the enemy is attacking the African-American community. 
because of one of those being one of the reasons. In Isaiah 18, 1, 3, and 7, and you can look at that on your own, it says in, in Isaiah 18, verses 1, chapter, and verse 3, and verse 7, it says, A people tall and smooth skin, gifts brought to Zion. They'll bring gifts to Zion. Verse 3 of Isaiah 18, Isaiah said, who also prophesied a nation being born in a day, that's Israel, All you people of the world, you who live on the earth, when a banner is raised on the mountains, you will see it. When a trumpet sounds, you will hear it. A world event, the Ark of the Covenant, will be brought back to the nation of Israel. And it seems that Isaiah thought it would come from Ethiopia. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Then I will purify the lips of the people. And this may be possibly a return to the ancient language of the Hebrew, which was used by the military to win the 1967 war. That all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring my offerings home. What offering could they bring? It could be the Ark of the Covenant, which has been hidden for nearly 3,000 years. Now I want to close with this. I want you to take your Bibles... And I want you to look at 2 Timothy. And I promise you five minutes. Give me five minutes. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. I want, you, I want you to see this and then we'll close. I'm giving you some things to think about. I want you to think about it. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. And just to let you know that I'm not lying and the kids won't, be hungry any longer, go ahead and stand. Okay, so you know if you're standing, I'm not going to keep you much longer. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, these are familiar words, aren't they? A lot of people have heard these in funerals. These are Paul's last words. These are the last things that Paul would write that we know of. He's writing them to Timothy. He says to Timothy, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. That's how you and I ought to live, drink offerings, poured out constantly in ministry for the Lord. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Boy, that's a great view of death, isn't it, Kelly? Isn't that great? A departure. You know what he sees death as? It's just simply us leaving one location and going to another. Isn't that great? And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. Have you been fighting the fight? Has it been tough? Is it a fight? Everybody look this way. Is it a fight? I can't hear you. I sound like Sergeant Carter with Gomer Powell. I can't hear you. You better believe it's a fight. You're in a fallen world. And you don't know that your enemy's reading prophetic signs far better than you. He may be convinced that his time is short. So he's working overtime in your life. He's working overtime in the life of this nation. He's working overtime in the world. My African friend, uh, Jeff uh, uh, Midian Chichetti, called me the other day. And one of the first things, he called me again this week. And he said, man, the enemy's working. He said, the enemy is working all over Africa. He don't normally say that. But, but watch what Paul says here. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Now here 
It's not a matter of just finishing the race. You and I have got some sins that, that doth so easily beset us. We've got some stuff that Paul said in Hebrews chapter 12 that are entangling us that we need to cut away. We may have to let go of the internet. We may have to put our laptops away. We may have to get us an old phone. We have to do what we have to do. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me. Are you listening? Say amen. Amen. There is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Now are you ready for the next line? And not only to me, but also to all who what? who have longed for His appearing. Longed is not very good in the NIV. Because Paul uses a word here, it's, a, it's the verb form of the word agape, which means love. For all of those who agape, uh, uh, agapeo, the, the verb form, who long, who love, who are looking forward to His appearing. You know what we're doing? Hey, listen, we're sitting on the edge, we're sitting on go, we're ready. We're purifying ourselves. We're going into our home. Got to get rid of that video. Get rid of that. We're going to have to cut that channel off. We're going to have to call the cable company. We've got to do this. Going to have to do that. Got to get these books out of my life. Hey, these friends here, if I can't win them, bring them to Christ. They're pulling me down until I get stronger spiritually. I'm going to have to pull away from some of these people. I've got to drop this. I've got to drop that. I've got to quit taking that drug. Got to quit sipping a little alcohol on the side. Got to, hey, I got to, I got to, I got to do whatever I got to do to get rid of the porn. I've got to purify myself because I'm sitting on go because I don't know that any minute the law of gravity is going to all of a sudden lose its ability to hold me. And I'm going to look up and I'm going to be rising and I'm going to see people, friends, family, and everyone else, including the resurrected bodies of those people who have died in Jesus, and we're going to all be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with them, with the Lord. And then he says, Paul says it. He says, God, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all of us who have longed for his appearing. Let me ask you something. Do you even think about it anymore? I can tell you the problem with the church in America. You don't never hear it talked about anymore. I've listened to a lot of great preachers, mega preachers, big names. You know one thing I don't hear? I don't hear anything about the second coming. Let me tell you why I don't hear. Because when you start preaching like this, you know what people think? He's a nut. He is a nut. He is some crazy, strange belief. God's going to snatch us up and called us called up and going to heaven and antichrist and governments and nation of Israel. Whew, he's off his rocker. Preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Perish. Let me tell you something. Preaching of the second coming of Christ is to them that perish. It's foolishness too. I got an earned doctorate. I'm pretty smart. Been a chaplain in the army. Lived all over the world. I am convinced sometimes when I'm driving, sometimes when I'm going about my day, all of a sudden something will come over me as if I think he may be getting ready to come. And you know what I do? I, I immediately check my life, confess if I need to confess. Say, Lord, I want to. I want to be. I want to be right with you. Are you right with him? Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, I thank you, dear Lord, for people 
who listen attentively. Lord, I know many churches that people would not sit and even listen this long and, and pay the respect to your word as the people in this congregation have. I pray, dear Lord, that for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room, that, Lord, I've not brought confusion, but maybe have cleared up some things. All I know is this, that Israel is back in her homeland. All I know is there are things that are happening that cannot be explained. Whether there are signs in the heaven, a comet streaking across on the first day of Hanukkah, the brightest comet that we've ever seen, or whether, dear Lord, it's going to be another event, whatever it may be, I know that you're coming. And Lord, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. I pray for those who listen on the website that God, they will understand that we need to be ready. And the only way to be ready is to give our hearts and lives to Christ. To simply in childlike faith, Jesus said, except you be converted, come as a little child, you'll in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Children are so simple. Their faith is so simple. Their belief system is so basic. Mom or dad tells them something, they just simply believe it. And so, Father, I pray, dear Lord, that we would have that same kind of simplicity. Lord, you've offered salvation. You offer forgiveness of sin. You offer your grace just freely, no strings attached. You sent your son to die and to pay the penalty, to pay the penalty of our sin so that we could go free. And all we've got to do is simple childlike faith receive that gift. We don't have to explain it. We don't have to understand it. We just have to receive it. To many as have received, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, that in simple childlike faith they'd say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me, and be my Lord. That means the master of my life for the rest of my life. I pray for others in this room, dear Lord, who may be battling with a stronghold with sin. There may be things in their homes that they don't need to have. There may be things that they need to get rid of, get things out of their life. Whatever they need to do, Father, I pray, dear Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that you give all of us the strength to purify ourselves and to make the hard decisions and to discipline, as Paul said, to beat our bodies into submission. God, would you do whatever you need to do to bring us to the point that we're ready for your return. And may we live with anticipation, expectation, excitement. May, dear Lord, we once again begin to think about it. May it be on our lips. What if he comes today? Am I ready? Speak to us, Lord Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.